We cry holy, Lord. We cry holy, Lord. Thank you, Lord. Lord, as we behold you, Lord, you promise that we become like you, Lord. Thank you for the change. I thank you for the transformation, Lord. I thank you, Lord, for everything you have forgiven and everything that you have forgotten, Lord. Thank you, Lord, it's a brand new day. And I thank you, Lord, there's fresh mercies and fresh compassion. Father God, just flowing right down from your throne right now, Lord. I thank you, Lord, that you are Emmanuel. You are God with each one of us, Lord. Thank you for your power, Lord, over our lives, Lord. I thank you for your power over our marriages, Lord, over our health, over our children. Father God, I thank you, Lord, that everything and every one, Lord, is going to turn and give you such glory, Lord. Father God, would you hear, would you receive, Lord, your worship today, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. I'm going to read the message. My husband is going to preach from today. If you'd like to turn to the book of 2 Timothy, and going to be reading from chapter 3. 2 Timothy, chapter 3. But know this, that in the last days, perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. And from such people turn away. But of this sort are those who creep into households and make captives of gullible women loaded down with sins, led away by various lusts, always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. Now, as Janus and Jambres resisted Moses, so do those also resist the truth. Men of corrupt minds disapproved concerning the faith. But they will progress no further, for their folly will be manifest to all as theirs also was. But you have carefully followed my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, perseverance, persecutions, afflictions, which happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium, at Lystra, what persecutions I endured, but out of them all the Lord delivered me. Yes, and all who desire to live godly in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. But evil men and impostors will grow worse and worse, deceiving and being deceived. But you must continue in the things which you have learned and be assured of, knowing from whom you have learned them, and that from childhood you have known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith, which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. Amen. Father, I thank you for your word. Thank you, Lord, we don't need to be powerful. We can be weak, but your word is dunamos, Lord. It has power to destroy all the carnality, all the self-centeredness, all the sickness. Your word can do the impossible. And Father God, where people here have come here today with challenges that seem impossible, Father God, let your word go forth and heal it today. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. One of the questions I'm asked most of, most of the time as a pastor, and I've been asked this for a number of years now, is, is that 
Do I believe that we are living in the last days? People, people just want to pigeonhole me on this question all the time. And it's a, it's a bit of a complex answer because the last days began. The last days began when the church was, uh, was born. That's officially, it's the last, it's the, they are the last days. And that's why the early church believed they were living in the last days. They began at the outpouring of Pentecost. And this is the final chapter before Christ comes and establishes the kingdom of God in righteousness. They have been and we have been living in the last days for 2,000 years. But there is the last of the last days. And Paul, I believe, is speaking here to Timothy, young Timothy. And he's speaking about his generation, but also prophetically, I believe, about the final generation before Christ comes. And I believe we are that generation. I believe and I live as though there is no other generation beyond me because I believe for the first time all the things in Matthew 24 and all the things that Paul wrote about are happening today. And we need to live as though Christ is coming. We need to live footloose and fancy free with this world. We need to be separated from it and be expecting Christ to return. And Paul says here, he said, the thing that's going to happen in the last days is they will be characterized by perilous times. And that word perilous is only used one other time in the New Testament, and it's used in the same word where it speaks about a demonized person coming out of a tomb, and it says that this demonized person was extremely fierce. So the last days will be extremely fierce. And I believe there's a, there's a fierceness arising in our world today. There's a brinkmanship and people are becoming fierce in their dealings with one another. But he says that these, these perilous times will come and they will be characterized by a deterioration in the human morals and character. And then Paul lists... What will be happening? It's a bit like the days of Noah before Christ comes. It says, then for men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud. And, you know, you could tick off all this and you could identify it from, you know, different parts of our culture today. And you could say, I see all of this, how proud people are becoming, blasphemers, disobedient to parents. You know, children think it's, you know, you can even divorce your parents these days. It's extraordinary when we look back in history, the attitude of children to their parents today is unprecedented, but we think it's normal. So all this is happening today. They'll be brutal, sorry, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure. There you go. Lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power, and from such people turn away. And it's, it's a heck of a list about how the morality and the character of humanity will deteriorate. He makes this list, and I always think it's really important. You know, some people have said to me they believe Somehow, I don't know how they think this, but I've had a pastor ring me and say, uh, we are not in the end times because humanity is getting better. We're getting more civilized. We're getting better. And I'm like, just because your phone is getting better every two years doesn't mean humanity is getting better. We confuse technology with humanity. I just remind you, the 20th century, more evil was done than any other period. We had, for the first time, we had... Genocide achieved in a number of cultures, and under the communists, 100 million people were murdered. So don't tell me humanity is getting better. It is getting worse, and it will continue to get darker until Christ comes. And the notion, some teaching, I'm digressing here, but some people sit under teaching, it's called Seven Mountains teaching, that we are going, the church is going to become so powerful, we're going to take over the seven mountains of culture, education and technology and this and that, and, so, and, and then we're going to be some, so powerful, we're going to rule and reign in the world, and then Christ is going to return. That is completely different to what the scriptures teach. The scriptures teach humanity is going to get worse and worse and darker and darker and darker, but the church will shine in the midst of that darkness in the end times, then Christ Christ will come. That's not my message. Message is kind of related, but Paul makes his lists. 
and, uh, and says that, you know, the, all these things are going to be happening. People are going to be boasters, blasphemed, disobedient to Paris. But I want us to, to look at the, the, the first item on that list. And it begins by saying, for men will be lovers of themselves. And, and I believe, excuse me, I believe that is listed first because love of self is, it's like the pipe or the channel which all the other filth and garbage is going to flow through, is that this generation is going to be so depraved and so, is going to have all these character problems, but the reason, the core reason will be that they become lovers of self. And you, 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 we live in this generation today, and I've preached this before, but you don't understand unless you can appreciate a little bit about history, unless we think about it, how weird and depraved our culture is. We, we are such, our culture is such a lover of self. We believe it is perfectly normal to make a page, which is a shrine to me, and put it up for everyone to see and think that I am so important and my opinions are so important that everybody's got to look at it. And I want everybody to look at me. And we're so infatuated with self, we've even invented, you know, the, the selfie. You know, I, I just, I want to look, and then I look at these people. I went to the beach a little while ago, and I watched this young girl, and she spent like hours taking different photos of herself. And, and this is the, one of the things that prompted this message. I thought, we think this is normal. This is completely perverse. And if you want to be miserable, the formula to be miserable is to think about yourself a lot. But our culture has become infatuated and think that everybody is so important that we have an opinion you should listen to it. It's nonsense. It's just nonsense. And so we are, I, I, I read it, by the length of this street, we are the most narcissistic culture that's ever existed. And we're getting worse. That's a fact. We are a narcissistic, self-obsessed culture. And Paul said, this is what's going to be like in the last days. This is what's going to be like. People are going to be lovers of self, and the fact that they are lovers of self is going to be the cause that they become boastful, slanderers, despisers of good, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of good, all these things are going to happen because they are lovers of self. Now, when I preach about lovers of self, there's two extremes. You can be a lover of self, which most are today, but on the other extreme, some people are actually haters of self. They hate themselves. However, some of the, some of the teaching that has come into the church is completely erroneous. And I've seen it ministered all around, even on the coast here. So someone has a problem and, they, and they've got self-hatred. We think this, we, we, we've taught people the solution is you need to learn to love yourself. It's nonsense. You tell me where in the scriptures it says you, you, the solution to, to self-hatred is self-love. What Paul says in Romans 12, 3, do not consider yourself more highly than you ought to, but be sober in your judgment. In other words, the truth is going to make you free, not becoming a lover of self. It's the truth and knowing that and abiding in the truth that makes you free. And the truth is this, all people, you were created, Luke, in the image of God. You are fearfully and wonderfully made. No animal is like you. No mountain is like you. When God made you, you're a masterpiece. Second part of that truth is you're a twisted sinner. But that's the truth. But, and when I understand myself and I believe what God says about me, that's how I get free. That's how I live free. That's how I walk free. It's not by learning to love myself. So if you're ministering to this people, stop it. You're keeping people and bringing them back into bondage. God loves you. That's enough. 
He created you. He formed you. He died on the cross for you. That's enough. So, this is the truth. And it's the truth that makes you free. And like I said, it's so important that we recognize what is happening in our culture and what is the cause of it. It is becoming a lover of self that, that as I said, it's, it's the pipe which all this rubbish flows through. And Paul says here, he says, the feature, when people are lovers of self, so there's a number of things that you're going to know about them. He says they are, they are people who are never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. He says they are always learning and never able to come to the knowledge of the truth. The reason is a lover of self. You've ever heard the expression, it's my truth. We have my truth. And they're supposed to be your truth. But a lover of self wants, I'm, I'm, I'm sticking to my truth. There is no my truth and there is no your truth. There is one truth. That's why if you walk out in the middle of the highway out there and Central Coast Highway, it doesn't matter what is your truth and my truth. If there's a truck coming, it's going to run you down. <laughs> That's the truth. So there's one truth. But lovers of self, they think they have their own truth and they are deceived and they can never come to the knowledge of the truth which makes you free. So they have their own truth, but not the truth. It says here also that this is what's, what's dangerous. It says these lovers of self are, are the type who creep into households and make captives of gullible women loaded down with sins. Now, gullible uses women in those days because the women were the ones that had the time and were in the home. And it says that these lovers of self weren't just content to, and, and the love of self is not just content to keep itself to itself. It, you know, we've heard the term now, influencers. These lovers of self wanted to go into homes and take captive the gullible women. And the love of self wants to come into your home through the television and through the internet and take captive your children and yourself to its philosophy. And you have to be very aware of what programs and of what influences you allow into your home today because love of self is destroying people. So this lover of self, the, the, the love of self wants to come into your home and wants to take people captive. And it wants to take people captive under this ideology and philosophy that the most important thing in my life is my personal happiness. That me... Me, I have to be fulfilled. I have to be happy. I need to love me. And that's what people are falling for today. And I want to say, if you've been saved into the word faith movement, there's a, there's a possibility that the love of self could be over you. Because there is a teaching, and, and Paul warns against it in 1 Timothy 6.5, and he says... There will be those who suppose godliness is a means of gain. And some people have taught us that if you come and follow Jesus, if you follow him, if you obey him, you are going to gain materially. You are going to gain something of this world by following Jesus. We don't follow Jesus as a means of material or worldly gain. I follow Jesus to get Jesus. And if I get Jesus, my cup runneth over and I shall know no want. I have no want because I know the shepherd. But I follow him to gain Jesus. That's why we, we follow him. We, are, we follow hard after him because everything in this world is dross compared to gaining Jesus. And I want to gain Jesus. I want to gain more of Jesus. That's why I follow him. But lovers of self can even be in the church and they've been taught that we follow him because we're going to get rich, because we're going to get a house, because we're going to get this, we're going to get that. But that's not why we follow him. We follow Jesus to get Jesus. And, and the, the, the problem with, with lovers of self is this. In chapter 4, verse 3, it says, They will heap up for themselves 
teachers, they'll have itching ears. And this is happening today. People who are, even in the church, lovers of self will find a teacher to justify my self-centeredness. I've had people that have come to me and they've been living together. And I believe that they're not married, but scriptures are pretty clear that you can't do that. And I'll say to them, if you want to sit in this church, you have to separate. You can't do that because you, you, the Bible says you become a blemish on the love feast. And I say separate and then get married and we'll do it the way God says. I've had people leave here and they go and find a pastor who actually tells them, no, 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 Christians are too hung up on personal sexuality and purity. We just should be out there helping the poor and that's okay with God. But people who, you know, the Bible says, honor your covenant. And I've had people come to me for counseling and I say, I know your marriage is difficult, but you have a covenant. Stay committed to your covenant. And they go and find a teacher who says, no, 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 it's okay. It's okay. You can, you can have a divorce. And the reason they get a divorce is the core reason behind it is lover of self. Is that my personal happiness is so important. And I'm not prepared. I'm not prepared to compromise that. There's lots of other teachings. People, people now, if they, if they want to just live you know, fast and loose with sin, you can go and find a teacher. He's even got a PhD. will tell you there is no punishment and there is no hell. Even people come and they'll say, you know, I can even on certain circumstances, I can abort children. We, we can get you a master's degree teacher to teach you that as well. It's all out there. And this is the season we're living with, is that, is that if you want to be a lover of self, if you want to justify living for self, there are plenty of teachers out there who are going to say to you today, yeah, you, you can do it. You don't have to honor your parents. You can make it, you know, if I teach here on giving and being generous and tithing, there's plenty of other teachers out there. No, 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 you don't have to do any of that. You can make it all about yourself. That's what, that's what Paul warns about. He says the lover of selves are going to, they're going to, Firstly, they're going to have their own truth. They are going to heap up teachers which tickle their ears and don't have the courage to just stand on the Word of God. They're going to tell them because the teachers are cowardly. They're going to tell the culture what it wants to hear. And we're seeing it today. We see it with the whole same-sex marriage. I don't care what you believe in that. But the Bible is really, really clear. A marriage is between a man and a woman. I don't care which way you cut it. It teaches in Romans chapter 1, homosexuality, God loves everybody, but it is a sinful behavior. Yet in the plebiscite, we had all these past, all the teachers folding and saying, we don't want to offend the culture, so you dodge this one. Give you what your itching ears want to hear. This is happening today. This is happening, to, and the reason is because people are lovers of self. And the lovers of self also, it says they have a form of godliness, but denying its power. This is not the power to do miracles and heal the sick. This is the power of God can change your life. Living under the word changes your life. It, it does what we cannot do for ourselves. The word has dunamos. We serve a God who is unlimited in power and wants to transform and does transform us. But lovers of self, they don't want to be changed. They want to stay the same as they are. They want it me and my. They want, and so they come up with a form without power. So they have a form of religion, a form of serving God, but denying its power. Denying the power of God to change what you cannot change. And each of us, if we're really honest, we, we have our own personal preferences. 
We have the things that we want, our own personal preferences. And those preferences in themselves are not evil. But it's when I insist on getting my personal preferences that the preferences become evil. When I have my preferences and I'm going to get them, come what may, I'm going to get what I want. I'll twist this word to get it. I'll do whatever it takes to get what I want because I love myself. The thing is that I've noticed in the Scriptures, so many people in the Scriptures had to learn to become unselfish and to live unselfishly before God blessed them with the true riches. I'm thinking of Abraham when he had a self-centered nephew called Lot who destroyed himself because he was self-centered. And Abraham said to him, Here's the land you choose. Completely unselfish. And God blessed him. Many others. The top of my head, there's Joseph, who brothers mistreated him. But when they came to him, he provided land for them. Unselfishly provided land, gave them homes. He's unselfish. In, in 1 Timothy 6.5, Paul speaks about, and I spoke about the, the, the people who believe that godliness is a means of gain. And Paul says this word. He says, have nothing to do with them. And here, Timothy's, uh, Paul's saying to Timothy, You're gonna, we're living in a time, there's going to be a time in your time, but also our time, where these lovers of self are going to be doing all this, twisting the word, trying to take captive people, heaping up teachers, denying God can actually change your life, denying that he is risen and real today. And he said that they're, they're, they're going to have all these other things. They're going to be lovers of pleasure and justifying it all. And, and, and he says it's going to be so prevalent in the culture. It's going, to be, it's going to be so... And we're living in a time now where it is so prevalent... And Paul speaks about all the characteristics, all the garbage that comes from being a lover of self, and he ends up by saying, but you, I love that, but you, while this is all happening, but you, there's another transition that says, but as for you, and he says, you ought to have nothing to do with this. As, as, as Paul said to, in the last pa passage, have nothing to do with those who teach that godliness is a means of... Have nothing to do with them. And here Paul says, anyone who's like that, turn away from them. You can't save everybody. People who are determined to live for self and love self, he says, turn away from them. Why does he say turn away from them? Aren't we supposed to save anyone? 1 Corinthians 15, 13... 33, Paul says this, evil company corrupts good character. I've said many, many times the problem is somebody in your relationships, when you walk with people, somebody's always converting somebody. And you become like those you run with. That's a fact. Sooner or later, if you make self-centered, worldly people you happy to hang around them. In the end, you are going to become like them. You cannot stop it. Somebody is always converting somebody. If you're not converting them, if you know you're not strong enough to be salt and light to them, they're going to convert you. So Paul says, turn away. Turn away from them. Verse 5, really, really clear. From such people, turn away. And then in Philippians 2, verse 3, Paul says this. He says, let nothing be done from selfish ambition or conceit, but in lowliness of mind, let each other, let each esteem others 
better than themselves. Let each of you look out not only for his own interest, because you do that anyway, but also for the interests of others. So he's speaking about there's a difference between selfish ambition and godly ambition. It's great to be ambitious. It's great to want to be great in the kingdom. Jesus said that, but he said the way to, to attain it is by descending and becoming a servant, not ascending. And we're to have ambition, but we are to have godly ambition, not personal selfish ambition. He says, be ambitious, but be ambitious for the kingdom. Be ambitious to win souls. Be ambitious to make a difference for God in your relationships, but don't be ambitious for personal stuff. Don't be ambitious to be richer. Don't be ambitious to have a bigger house. Don't be ambitious to have more stuff. Be ambitious to be someone that God looks down and says, there's my man or woman. And then, lover of self. Lover of self. Love is very, very powerful. But the thing is, we are powerful. And in order to not become a lover of yourself, you've got to choose what you love. This is a choice. God has made you a passionate person. You are going to love something. And 2 Thessalonians 2 speaks about the reason people got deceived and will be deceived today. It speaks about how Satan will deceive people with lying wonders with all unrighteous deceptions, but then he says they, they, they perished because they did not receive the love of the truth that they might be saved. You and I can choose what we love, and we need to choose. In other words, if you're a passionate person, God's created you that, you're going to choose what you love, and you have to choose I am not going to love self. I am going to love Jesus. I am going to to love him. And I know some of us have lost that first love. And you need to get it back because that's what Christianity is. It's about loving Jesus and loving his family, loving the church. Loving the, but self-love kills love for Jesus. It kills love for one another. And this, this narcissism, is, it's just seeping. I see it more and more seeping into our culture. And if we're not careful, if we're not careful and we don't control and understand we are powerful to choose what I love. Here's a digression, but you know how you choose? If you say I'm not passionate about something, I don't love something, <laughs> give to it, give money towards it. Because the Bible says, where your treasure is, there your heart will be. You say, I've got, no, got no heart for, you know, poor people. I said, well, give. Give some money. To, it changes your heart. But we have the power. We have the power to determine what we love. And we have to renounce self-love and deliberately decide that I am going to passionately pursue Jesus. I am going to love him. He is going to occupy first place in my heart. And I'm going to guard that heart. And sometimes, like the Ephesians, you can lose that first love. Because the culture influences, but we must make sure there is that fire burning in our hearts for Jesus. And if it's gone out, we need to do something about it. And, and, and in the passage I just read from Philippians, Paul says, in loneliness of mind, esteem others better than yourself. good way of saying that is just to change your mind about who's important. Of course we're important. We're important to God, but other people. Paul says, live your life as though other people are more important than you. That's something that needs to be practiced. And then Paul says here, he says, but you have carefully followed my doctrine, manner of life, purpose, faith, long-suffering, love, perseverance. He says, which happened to me at at, at the afflictions, which happened to me at Antioch, at Iconium. What persecutions I endured. You know, if you're going to be a lover of Jesus, a lover of people, there are afflictions and persecutions. Flesh has got to die. But he says, out of them all, God delivered me. But 
what Paul is saying to Timothy here. He says, while all this narcissism and while all this self-love is happening, he says, but you, you're going to be different. You're going to be a lover of Jesus. You're going to be a lover of the church. You are going to protect what you love. And he says also, not only are you going to protect what you love, you are going, you've had influence. The reason you're going to be different, he says, you have carefully followed my doctrine, my manner of life. And what he's speaking about, he's speaking about Paul was a godly influence on young Timothy, you need to have, there's a term these days, influencers. You need to have people with godly influence in and around your life. And Paul says, you had me in your life. And he says, many other times, he says, imitate me. But he said, imitate me as I imitate Christ. So Paul was being a reflection of Christ to Timothy. But he's saying, you, you're not going to be like that because you've, got, you've had me in your life. You've had godly influence in your life. And someone with godly influence in your life, you need to treasure and you need to value them. And he says, the godly influence that I gave, he says, was in terms of doctrine. I had someone in my life who gave me the right doctrine. But some people actually believed, you know, doctrine alone is enough. Not enough. Bible doesn't say very much about doctrine. Doctrine's important because it determines what you believe about God. But Paul says, not only my doctrine, my manner of life. Some people got the right doctrine, but there's no life in them. You can't see the love of Jesus and the love of the church in them. They're just hung up on doctrine. But Paul says, I had the right doctrine. I had the right manner of life. And he speaks about purpose. He says, I had purpose. What was Paul's purpose? To get people out of the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of God. That's our purpose. It's not about self. And Paul says to Timothy, you, you are going to be different. And, the, and one of the reasons you're going to be different, you're going to have godly influence. Godly influences, mentors around you, speaking into your life, giving you the right do doctrine, demonstrating love for Jesus and encouraging you that our real purpose here is to win souls. And then he says, but you must continue. He says, verse 14, you know, you've, you've had this influence and you've known this, you've heard the right doctrine, you've seen how I lived, you've seen the purpose, you've seen the real thing. You've, Paul's saying, you've seen... None of it was about me. I lived to win souls. I lived, I suffered. I suffered for the gospel. I was persecuted. None of it was about me. I've given you the right influence. I've given you the right shape. I've modeled it to you what a real Christian is like. I, I haven't lived selfishly. And he says, so you've seen it. But having seen it, you must continue in the things. This is where I really feel the message is. Church, there is so much influence now. You don't need to be, have anything new and fan-dangled. You don't need to embrace the latest teaching. We stand in 2,000 years of tradition. 2,000 years of tradition. You, you don't have to do anything shiny and new. But you must continue. Because I just, I'm speaking this in my spirit, I know things are going to get worse and worse. And the, and the Bible says many are going to fall away. But this is a time we need to be strong. We need to be strong in what we know. We need to be strong in knowing that, that this gospel we've got is not about self. It's about Christ who offered himself. It's about Christ who gave himself that the world could be saved from its sin. It's got nothing to do with me and my personal ambitions being realized by, you know, you can become a user of God, not a lover of God. But a lover of God, like I said before, is just after Jesus to get Jesus. And he says, we must continue in these things, being hungry for him, loving him, wanting to be like Jesus, wanting to be selfless like Jesus, loving his church like he loved the church. He says, because there's going to come such pressure to drag you away, to pull you over here and just be like everybody else who's got their camera out and just loses it because we become, our, our, our self becomes our great idol. And, and he says, you, not only, not, not only do you need to know and have this influence, but you must 
continue in it. You must continue in the things which you have learned. And he says, here it is, the great tool you have, the greatest tool we have, that we don't get sucked into what's going on, what we don't get swept up by the world's culture. I spoke about godly influence, but that's only part of it. The greatest tool we have, he says, that from the childhood you have known the holy scriptures, and he says, which are able to make you wise for salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. That it is, this book is different from any other book. It is a living book. It has been breathed by God and it is able to make you strong. It is able to keep you. Uh, just, just read this book and you'll be changed daily. Even if you don't comprehend all of it, he says, just keep reading this book. It is given by inspiration. It is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction. And it's like Paul is saying, what you received from me as a great influence didn't start with me. It's, he's talking about the Old Testament. They didn't have the New Testament. But he's saying, it didn't start with me. It's, it's 6,000 years old of history. It's written in this book. And if you read this book, you'll have the same influence as you had from me. I, I, I just can see, I can see where since the advent, I'm only 50-something. But in my, year, in my generation, I am just astounded by how our culture has changed particularly since the invent of this thing called the iPhone. I mean, what I'm trying to say, church, what we think is normal, we're, we're, we're like the frog in a kettle. It's not normal. This is not normal to be so self-focused. And we need an awareness and a reminder that our Jesus, I don't think he got anything for himself out of his mission. Where did he gain? Well, he did because he gained you and I. But in terms of personal, where, where, was, where was his personal fulfillment? Where did he get rich? Where did he gain anything materially from obeying his father? There was nothing. And he, he lay his, rather than love his life, he lay his life down. He gave his life. He gave himself when he could have loved himself. That's who we follow. And we follow him, not to gain anything but him. Of course, he blesses us in so many ways, but that's not the motivation. And I see when Jesus died, I see two Gospels at Calvary because he was crucified between two thieves. And one thief, when Jesus was dying, he had a great interest in himself. And he said to Jesus, if you are the Son of God, get yourself down from here and get me down from here too. And then I'll follow you. If you can do something for myself, I'll follow you. But the other thief simply was with Jesus and his eyes were supernaturally opened to the glory of God in Christ Jesus on the cross, that he was dying for the sin of the world, that he was innocent. He was not dying as a criminal. He was innocent. And he was the one God had promised. He was the Messiah. And as his eyes were open, he said, he confessed Christ. And Christ said to him, today you'll be in paradise. But he confessed Christ without any guarantee that Christ would do anything personally for him. He's self. But he confessed him. And he was received into paradise. 
Church, that's the real gospel. We are believers because we've seen. We've seen. We've had our eyes open to the glory of God in the face of Christ Jesus. That he is the savior of the world. He is the only one that can save us from our sins. And he gave his life for me on that cross. And he died for my sin. And I'm so affected by that. I follow him because he's my Lord and my savior. Not to get anything. But I follow him. And as he, as the type of life he lived, that is the model for my life. It is a self-giving life. It is a sacrificial life. I am not promised personal happiness, but the irony, the irony of it is, as I get him, as I follow hard and just seek him alone, I get everything that matters. For men will be lovers of themselves. Lovers of money, boasters, proud, disobedient to parents, unthankful. We go on and on, but love of self is at the top for a reason. It's what every other piece of garbage is going to flow through in this generation. And you and I, because of what is happening in our culture, need to so reject it. We need to strongly be able to identify love of self and strongly reject it and say, this heart of mine is protected. I choose to love Jesus. I choose to love him. And I choose to love his church. The devil is trying to steal that today. Very, very subtly, he's trying to steal your first love and he's trying to shift it onto yourself. And I'm just saying today, where you see that, where you see people, there are people everywhere, you just see them. I've got to tell a funny story. I was at a, finish, I was at a, all places, I was at a tyre place. And uh, I was getting new tyres for my car. I was getting cars tired for my car. And I was sitting in the waiting room because I didn't want to drive away and come back. I said, I'll sit here while you do the work. And as I was sitting there, there was somebody who came into the waiting room with us. And uh, I won't say too much, but this person had a lot of work done on their appearance. And I was just taken by this person because they couldn't stop taking photos of themselves. And I was not really aware what this was all about. And one of my daughters who was with me said, you know her? She's a big influencer. She's a big influencer. You're not immune from being influenced. Make sure what influences you. Make sure what influences you are the word of God and the things of God alone. Alone. Let us pray. Father God, I want to praise you. I want to bless you. That Lord Jesus, everything we desire is in you. Everything we need our provision, our protection, our guidance. It is all in you. And Lord, I am so aware the Ephesian church loved you, loved you so passionately. They loved your church, but then their love grew cold. And Father God, I'm asking right now for anyone whose love for you, we might be in church every Sunday, but our love for you has grown cold. Holy Ghost, I'm asking today that you'll restore that first love, that we will be a church who is crazy about Jesus. We will be a church that is known for our passionate pursuit of Jesus, of his character. 
of his principles, of his purpose, of his power in our lives, Father God, that we will be a people who want to look, the body to look like the head, that we will be a people who are willing to sacrifice, that we'll be a willing a people who reject and have nothing to do with what is going on in our culture. Father God, strengthen us. Give us resolve that we not be pushovers, that we be strong in this time and we reject what needs to be rejected and we embrace what needs to be embraced, that we stand firm and we continue in this walk, that we do not be pushed aside, that we do not be dragged back, but we be strong and continue to fight this fight, to run this race, Lord. Father God, where there is love of self, Maybe you're someone here. Maybe you've got a, I'm just thinking, marriage problem. Sometimes we want to run away. Problem is, we have too much love for ourselves. Maybe we're not loving our wives enough. The reason is we have too much love for ourselves. Father God, I'm asking for a fresh conviction in my life and everybody else's life. That you lay down your life. You didn't go the way your flesh wanted to go. You obeyed your Father. You'll protect our hearts. Protect us from the selfishness that our culture is drowning in. Make us salt. Make us light. Make the body be like the head. Cleanse us. Remove love of self from my heart today and everyone's heart that's here. Replace it with that first fresh, inimitable love for Jesus. I praise you, Lord. There is, you satisfy us fully. Everything else is dross. Let's stand up and praise him. Let's stand up and praise him. And just if, just if you know this culture's getting in on you and you've become selfish, some way, just respond to God today. Just say, I don't want to love myself. Take this influence away from me. Bring a godly influence into my life. In Jesus' name. Amen.